This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we start, this episode contains reference to sexual assault and some offensive language. We will list some support services at the end and on the full story page. Okay, I'm Laura Murphy-Oates and this is The Full Story. Over the past few months, Australia has gotten a rare look behind the closed doors of the Queensland Police Force. An inquiry into police culture has unearthed story after story of officers who allege their own colleagues subjected them to sexual assault, harassment and racial violence, often, according to those who testified, with little consequences. When this conduct is not called out, the organisation not only fails the individual women who are the complainants in these cases, but all women in the organisation who experience sexism and misogyny. Is that right? Yes, because it should be called out and better dealt with in those instances. It's a system of accountability that the police commissioner admits is broken. So how did it get this way? And now these allegations have been brought to light. What does it mean for the future of the Queensland Police Force? Today, breaking down the culture of silence inside the Queensland Police. It's Wednesday, the 12th of October. So, Ben, the inquiry into the Queensland Police Service responses to domestic and family violence has just wrapped up after two sets of hearings. Can you just remind us about how this inquiry came about? The inquiry was called as part of the path for Queensland criminalising coercive control as a form of domestic violence. Ben Smee is a Queensland correspondent for Guardian Australia. Doing that was particularly controversial among Indigenous and multicultural communities who are already over-policed and over-represented in the criminal justice system. So data suggests police routinely misidentify domestic violence victims as offenders, and those problems are more acute for people of colour. So the state's Women's Safety and Justice Task Force said that they had concerns about deeply ingrained problems in police views and attitudes towards domestic violence victims. So the inquiry was a chance to look at those concerns, to investigate them. It was announced earlier this year and it held its first lot of hearings um, from July to August and then another three days of hearings last week. So Ben, the police commissioner was originally not slated to appear at this inquiry and neither was the head of the police union. But The Guardian and domestic violence advocates questioned why this was, and since then they have both appeared at the inquiry. Can you tell me a bit about the police commissioner and their appearance last week? It's been decades since any Queensland police commissioner has faced the sort of reckoning that Katerina Carroll did at this inquiry. She sat and was talked through case after case of fairly horrific incidences of sexism, misogyny and racism by her officers. Mm. We heard about instances of sexual assault, of rapes of police officers by their colleagues. We heard about police who routinely harassed their female colleagues, police who were openly racist, including, um, you know, racism being taught at the police academy to new recruits. Mm. We heard about 
Police who engaged in these sorts of behaviours and who were later promoted, people who still serve in uniform. And these cases were dealt with all in the same way. You know, every time a case was brought up, we heard on loop, dealt with by local management resolution. We heard uh, from you that Mr was given local management resolution a week or so later. Yes. So, Ben, what is local management resolution? When a Queensland police officer is accused of some sort of wrongdoing, and that could range right through from a workplace-related complaint to actual kind of allegations of misconduct on the job, the most common punishment imposed is what's just like a remedial conversation with a supervisor, and it's known as a local management resolution or an LMR. It's like a stern talking to, basically. Mm. I guess to give you some examples of cases where LMR was used, one was an officer who was teaching at the police academy who was recorded telling recruits about Indigenous people that you can smell them before you can see them. Mm. And she was dealt with by LMR. A senior officer found to have engaged in bullying conduct over 13 years using racist language like the term towelhead, uh, sending pornographic material to colleagues, and he was dealt with by LMR and he was later promoted. An officer who threatened to punch his female superior, and I quote in the CUNT, was dealt with by LMR. The inquiry also heard that former Deputy Commissioner Paul Taylor referred to his friend, who was a gynaecologist and obstetrician, as a vagina whisperer at a police conference in April where senior officers, a large number of senior officers were present. And that was also dealt with via LMR. And and this was handled directly by Carol, the police commissioner. Mm. You know, I, I think while this example is kind of less shocking than others, what we heard at the inquiry was that some officers actually felt emboldened afterwards because that sort of set a standard that then kind of reverberated down the ranks. So if the officers who are at the centre of some of these complaints are getting away with this behaviour with nothing more than kind of a talking to, what about the complainants? What happens to them? Well, so we heard that officers who complain are labelled dogs, you know, basically a snitch. They get bullied, and and their reputation as someone who's ratted on their colleagues, follows them into other roles, and really even affects their career progression within the police. Mm. We heard examples where officers who made complaints had, you know, dog food left on their desk or or given a dog bowl. Um, The number of um, statements, anonymous statements by police officers that were read out that contained almost identical lines that said, you know, if you complain, you are labelled a dog was, um, you know, it was pretty shocking to hear. In many cases, we also heard that women who made complaints and serious complaints in some cases ended up with far worse consequences than the punishment for their abuses. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about some specific examples where that happened, Ben, that the complainant was punished or had their career suffer? Yeah, so we heard about one case where an officer repeatedly harassed and made sexual advances to a junior female colleague who later left the police service. Mm. And in another case, the inquiry heard about a, a junior female officer who was actually disciplined for not reporting the sexual harassing behaviour that she was subjected to by her supervisor. Mm. You know, the sergeant, her supervisor, 
approached her with his penis protruding from his jeans and asking if he should attend a meeting with an inspector that way. He also asked her to take photographs of his penis. Like, you know, later this junior officer was found to have committed misconduct for failing to report that she was sexually harassed. So she now has a disciplinary history on her record because this man gets his penis out in front of her at work and subjects her to other sexual conduct, which she doesn't complain about. And I think we've agreed now that there's many good reasons why women might not, as a result of which she is ultimately disciplined. Yes. So that same sergeant was found by an investigation to have engaged in inappropriate conduct against three women overall. Ben, I imagine a system like this, where there are negative consequences for those who come forward and a lack of consequences for those who are accused, would discourage people from making these complaints at all. Well, it absolutely discourages people from making complaints. We know that it discourages people from making complaints. And one of the things that has been remarkable through this inquiry is through a number of submissions and things that came in late was that it, it seems as though there's a real, a bit of a breaking down of that blue wall of silence that we know exists within police forces globally. Mm. You know, that idea that you protect your colleagues and you protect the service at all costs. Um, the, the, the fact that people have been emboldened to speak out and the kind of the scale of their stories has been really interesting to hear during this inquiry. The inquiry also heard that, you know, female officers who were the subject of assaults and abuse just didn't report them, believing that there was really little point when they knew that there was, you know, such kind of light punishments for people. Mm. Um, You know, in one case, a man ultimately found to have committed nine sexual assaults against other officers, he engaged in problematic behaviour for 16 years without a single complaint being made against him. Mm. One female officer who who actually did raise this behaviour was advised just not to return to the unit, but that if she chose to do that, that it would affect her career progression. The counsel assisting the inquiry Ruth O'Gorman KC said... The system appears to be stacked against female victims of sexual harassment in the QPS. And that it's failing to appropriately discipline perpetrators. One problem with this inappropriate use of LMR that we're seeing occur over and over again is that it's failing to send the appropriate message to other members of your organisation that this conduct will not be tolerated. Did the police commissioner, Katerina Carroll, agree with this assessment that the system is stacked against victims, particularly female victims of sexual assault, in the police force? She did acknowledge that people had fallen through the cracks. It's a problem, isn't it, um, that people like these three detective senior constables who suffered this terrible injustice, really, can fall through the cracks within your organisation and not receive the support that they need. It it is. Um, I wish that it didn't fall through the cracks. And while she spoke, these stories did have a visible effect on the police commissioner. And she also apologised to these victims. I've been in their situation. I know what it's like. Uh, Terrible. And I profusely apologise to them that it actually did. It's important to note that during the inquiry, Carol also detailed her own experiences with assault and harassment when she first started in the police force. So when she says, 
I've been in their situation. That's what she's referring to. So, Ben, these allegations aren't confined to sexual assault, though. It sounds like there's some serious allegations of racism as well. Was the police commissioner aware of racism in her police force? Yeah, absolutely she was. What we know from the inquiry is that in 2020, a group of Queensland police officers came forward and met with Carol and her leadership team to speak about their experiences of racism within the service. Now, the account of that meeting that we heard at the inquiry was that it deeply affected people who were in that room. Then a few weeks later, Carol fronted a media conference to address some Black Lives Matter-style protests that had broken out in Brisbane. Um, And she told the media at that press conference that police were, and these are her words, in no way racist. Mm. So at the inquiry, the commissioner, Judge Deborah Richards, asked her how she could have made those comments just a few weeks after being confronted by members of her own police force with the evidence. Do you accept that it would have been an absolute slap in the face for your most senior Indigenous officers and people of colour who had met with you the month earlier to tell you of their experiences of racism within the QPS, to hear you say, we are in no way racist? That is saying that 17,500 members of the QPS are racist. That is speaking on behalf of 17,500 people who are watching me. You knew that there was racism in the QPS. You had been told that a month before and you stand up and say we're in no way racist. You knew that was not true, Commissioner. Yes. Eventually, Carol conceded. There's definitely racism in the QPS. Um, You've outlined the instances to me. So, Ben, that's the police commissioner. But what about the president of the police union, Ian Levers? Was he aware of these issues around sexual assault, misogyny, racism in the force? Yeah, so at the hearing on Friday, Levers said he stood by the opinion that 98% of police are doing the right thing. But he also said that he was under no illusions that abhorrent behaviour did take place. So, Ben, we've heard about how this system of internal complaints and about how this culture inside the police force affects members of the police all throughout the inquiry. But what about the public? What could all these behaviours from serving police officers mean for the citizens that they are supposed to be protecting? I think this is the whole point here, and it's the reason that an inquiry into police responses to domestic and family violence is even looking at these issues in the first place. We know the extent to which women get unsatisfactory responses when they come forward with allegations of violence or allegations of harassment or allegations of coercive controlling behaviour. And what's been alleged in this inquiry is that some Queensland police officers have abused their own female colleagues and expressed horrendous views about Aboriginal people. So actually understanding how deeply these issues run within the police service should ultimately give us an understanding of why people who do come forward so frequently encounter poor responses from police. Next, how the problems inside the Queensland police reach back decades. On October 17, join me, Ben Doherty, for Guardian Australia's new podcast series, Ben Robert Smith versus the Media. 
Australia's most decorated living soldier, Ben Robert Smith, is suing three Australian newspapers for defamation over articles he says falsely accuse him of committing war crimes. A picture of me as stone just flaking away with bullet cracks because all I did was serve my country, that's it. Depending on the outcome, the result will have immense ramifications, either for the future of investigative journalism in this country or for the reputation of Australia's military and of a man who has been venerated as a modern-day war hero. You can find it here on Full Story on Monday. So, Ben, has the Queensland Police Force always been plagued by these problems, sexism, racism and a lack of accountability? You know, to answer that, I think we need to know a little bit about the Fitzgerald inquiry in the in the late 1980s, which looked into graft and corruption within politics and the police service in Queensland. You know, in Queensland, we tend to think of 1989 as kind of year zero for police accountability. And that was because that was the year that that Tony Fitzgerald handed down his landmark report. And, and he warned bluntly in that about the need for proper and effective oversight of police conduct. And, uh, you know, one of my favourite line from that report is, is regarding the old Internal Investigations Service. He said that it, quote, provided warm comfort to corrupt police and that it was a friendly, sympathetic, protective and inept overseer and that it must be abolished. So what happened since Fitzgerald was that Queensland introduced things like the Crime and Corruption Commission. It introduced new disciplinary practices for police that were kind of supposed to hold police to account. But what it didn't do was actually make wholesale changes of police officers or the police structure. You know, ultimately, Fitzgerald didn't really simply erase the culture that existed within the Queensland Police Service. Hmm. Terry O'Gorman, who's a a long-time civil liberties campaigner, he told me a few years ago that there were large pockets within the force at the time that really resented the sort of line-treading and accountability that came with the new era. And cops from this era, they remain in the QPS and and some of them in relatively high-ranking positions. Hmm. So... In the years since, what we've actually seen is the accountability measures that were brought into place after Fitzgerald actually wound back in various ways. Right, so what are some of the key ways that accountability has been eroded over the years within the Queensland Police Force? Firstly, the corruption watchdog, the Crime and Corruption Commission. They have, in many people's view, largely abandoned complaints against police and really shifted its focus to looking at, you know, really major, serious, organised kind of crime investigations rather than public sector Mm. or corruption or police misconduct. So complaints that may have once been looked at by the CCC are now almost always then sent back to police to handle internally. Another thing is that In recent years, Queensland has scrapped the internal police discipline system that was established in the aftermath of the Fitzgerald inquiry. And this change put the focus on non-punitive punishments like the local management resolution, as we've discussed. So rather than disciplinary action, most things were handled in this sort of non-punitive way. Complaints were streamlined Mm. to make sure that they took no longer than 12 months. But, you know, officers also then couldn't be punished in certain ways, like having their salary reduced. It's also extremely difficult to sack a police officer in Queensland. Mm. 
So how does this new system, the current system of dealing with internal complaints, compare to what was in place more than three decades ago before the Fitzgerald inquiry? I think the concerns that existed prior to Fitzgerald were that you effectively had police investigating police and you had a system that didn't hold police to account. Now, Even the commissioner, Katerina Carroll, admitted during the inquiry that the current internal complaints mechanism is broken. Do you also accept that the local managerial resolution uh, system is broken? Definitely, Your Honour. And in many cases is basically completely inappropriate. Would you accept that dealing with the matter by way of LMR in those circumstances was insufficient, completely inappropriate. So, Ben, if the Queensland Police Commissioner herself believes that they have a broken internal complaint system, what are they going to do about it? Will they change this? So the inquiry is due to report back in November uh, and they will have a series of recommendations and you would assume, based on the evidence, that one of those recommendations will relate to internal investigations. And uh, I think given the admissions made by the commissioner, uh, it would be very surprising not to see some action to reform the way internal complaints are dealt with. Mm. And what about measures to address the police's problems with sexism and racism more broadly, Ben? Well, I mean, it's clear there'll be a lot of pressure to deal with this now. The the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, said on Friday she believed that the majority of of police were doing the right thing, but acknowledged there were deep-seated cultural issues in the QPS. Of course, I'm quite distressed hearing those comments, and it's very unfortunate. You know, they are racist comments, and we've got to call that out for what it is. They have no place in a modern Queensland. And what about more immediate consequences for the officers that have been implicated in the hearings so far? It's important to note that officers weren't identified by the inquiry, but when you're talking about a a deputy commissioner of police, it quickly became very obvious who we were talking about. So far, the deputy commissioner of the police service, Paul Taylor, has already resigned. He did so in August after the story about his vagina whisperer comments came out and Katerina Carroll told the inquiry that he offered to do so willingly but that she thoroughly agreed with that decision. And overall, given some of the horrific things we've heard last week, including things that may be criminal offences, I think the entire inquiry raises the question, will police officers in those cases now face additional consequences as well? And those ramifications could be around their job, but they also could be more serious. We asked police about this, whether they did intend to take action against some of those officers or further action against some of those officers. And they Mm. said that they wouldn't comment until the inquiry was over. So, Ben, as you mentioned, this inquiry has kind of seen this blue wall of silence, this culture of silencing victims within the police force kind of break down. You've had hundreds of submissions from police officers speaking about the conduct of other officers within the force. How significant is that, not only for the Queensland Police Force, but for other police forces across the country that we've had this moment of speaking out? Look, I think it is really significant. I mean, we know the sort of culture that exists within police forces, again, not just in Queensland, but all police forces, where there is very much a kind of a brotherhood approach where you, you know, defend your colleagues, you defend the police service. And what that means is, is that not just uh, complaints not made, but that often when 
you know, bad behavior occurs, you know, we don't hear about it. We don't learn about it. Mm. People have had longstanding concerns about police discipline, longstanding concerns about police behavior, but it hasn't really been till this inquiry that we have got some sense of the scale. Now, I think Mm. we've really probably just scratched the surface of that scale, but for so many people to have decided that this is an opportunity for them to come forward, I think is really significant. There are angry people within the Queensland Police Service. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And there are people who feel like this is a time of reckoning for a service that has not done enough to protect people, and in particular women, within its ranks. That was Ben Smee, a Queensland correspondent at Guardian Australia. Ben and Queensland State reporter Eden Gillespie have been covering this inquiry over the past few months. I do recommend checking out their work, including Ben's feature from The Weekend titled Racism, Rapes and the Increasing Pressure on Queensland's Police Commissioner. We've linked to that on the full story page as well. Information and support for anyone affected by rape or sexual abuse issues is available in Australia at 1800RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. We've put a link to that and some other support services on the full story page. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and Rafka Tuma. Sound designed by Tim Jenkins. The executive producers of Full Story are Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, Miles Martignoni and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay? catch you tomorrow.